City Road podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Gadigal people. Hello, Dallas Rogers here. Welcome to City Road. And we're running a special podcast series called Innovating Cities, looking at how governments are taking up the challenge of innovation to solve urban problems. The series will be running on City Road, and it's made by colleagues at the University of Wollongong, the University of Sydney, and the University of Auckland. Enjoy. Housing crises, sustainability, livability and inclusion, equitable access to services, the list goes on. These are all problems that tend to be expressed really intensely in urban contexts, in cities. But increasingly, there's felt to be a mismatch between the complexity of the problems and the capacity of city governments to deal with them. We don't have all the answers. We're, we're taught, whether it's planners or engineers, to tell you, oh, yeah, we know how to solve your problem. You know, we don't necessarily have the answers, right? We are Pauline McGurk from the University of Wollongong. And Tom Baker from the University of Auckland. With Robin Dowling and Sophia Marlson from the University of Sydney, we're a research team funded by the Australian Research Council. We're investigating the range of innovation initiatives that city governments are rolling out as they try to address the challenges facing cities. And this is Innovating Cities, a special podcast series that examines how city governments are using innovative approaches to how they govern so as to address urban problems and make cities better. Our podcasts are produced on the unceded lands of Darawal, Ewan and Gadigal country and the lands of Ngāti Whātua or Orake in Tamaki Makoto. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of these lands and to country itself. What do global institutions like the UN, the OECD, philanthropic organisations like Bloomberg Philanthropies, research institutions like Harvard, and a range of consulting firms and not-for-profits, what do they have in common? Well, over the last decade, they've all been prescribing innovation as a solution for the many challenges that face city governments. How do leading practitioners of innovation in city government from around the world describe it? Innovation for us is really thinking about how we are, how we can make government systems and programs and policies more effective, more efficient, more responsive to what residents want and need making sure they're as accessible as possible, making sure they're equitable as possible. And, and I think the asterisk in that is helping employees realize that just because something has been done one way for 15 years and it's fine, doesn't mean that, that we can't and we shouldn't be thinking about how to make it better. And the tools that we use to make it better can be these really innovative, you know, design thinking, human-centered design, engaging, equitable frameworks that I think have just haven't really made their way into the public sector in the way that they have in other places. Eliza Erickson's the former Director of Innovation and Strategy for the City of Philadelphia. Others talk about it as creative problem solving, trying to refashion more traditional ways of working in government, sticking to a rule book that might have slowed things down. James Corliss is the executive director of Sacramento Area Council of Governments, otherwise known as SACOG. 
I, I think in, innovation is really like creative problem solving, right? And you're not you're not bound by basically the instruction manual or what you've been taught, and that is what makes it hard. Today, we'll focus on one great example of innovation in practice. The innovation units, innovation teams, or innovation labs, or iLabs, that are being set up within city governments around the world, specifically to develop the creative problem-solving capacity we just mentioned. These units are aimed at modelling new approaches to city governance, applying them to particular urban problems, and building the capacity to address them. They have a parallel in software development in the tech industry, where businesses create sandboxes or skunkworks teams, where new ideas get developed and tested out or experimented with. And this gives lots of scope for things to go wrong, to fail, to learn, to go again. We'll be looking at some examples of these units from around the world to see what's being attempted and what lessons can be learned about making the work of these units effective. All right, we've done a bunch of interviews with innovation units in the US, in Europe, and here in Australia. They give us a taste of what innovation in city government is all about. But can you tell us, Pauline, more about what these innovation units are? Where do these ideas come from? Right, so look, the idea of creating innovation units is presented in lots of best practice manuals that have been circulating around the world about how to innovate in city government. So, for example, for years now, Bloomberg Philanthropies have sponsored the creation of what they call I-teams in cities around the world. So these innovation units, they're usually small teams, maybe half a dozen people, and they have a brief to unleash creative new ideas and to learn from failing and iterating an idea until a version of a policy or a program or a way of delivering a service that works well comes together. So the innovation unit offers this kind of protected space where new approaches are developed and experimented with. And that can be for really pragmatic issues like how to organise waste collection more cheaply or effectively or to improve the usability of public space. It might be about new processes, say, for crowdsourcing community ideas about improving services or designing policy by bringing different government departments together. But it might also be about addressing these thornier, more complex issues like devising new ways for delivering affordable housing. It's been driving everyone crazy lately or, um, you know, developing a sustainability mobility system. Ah, But of course, city governments traditionally, these are places that are quite bureaucratic. They're places where processes are highly regulated and prescribed and we might say, you know, for good reason. So there's lots of political sensitivity around failing with a policy idea or with new ways of delivering services. There's political risk, in other words, in stuffing up when you're spending public money. So these innovation units, in their various forms, they're trying to manage these risks. They're vehicles for trying new ways of governing things in the city, testing them out and refining them. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. They are about really creating a context where there is a tolerance for failure and then learning from this to refine, improve, try again. And it's where attempts are often made then to work across the usual division of labour between departments across functions. 
They also often work um, to draw in new partners, whether that's in the private sector, the community sector, the philanthropic sector. And it's all about trying to create new ways of doing things or of financing things or even new ways of developing urban policy. So it's really about creating capacity to rethink how the problems that have to be governed in cities are addressed. That's quite ambitious disruptive even. That's a word we hear a lot when we hear of innovation. So how do they work? What do they do? Can you give us some examples? Yeah, look, they come in lots of shapes and sizes and they do vary a lot in their ambition, in how they operate, in the mechanisms that they use and in the politics of what they prioritise. So some of them focus on culture change, some focus on projects, some do both. Now, a great example of the first style, the culture change focus, is the City of Philadelphia's innovation management team. They aim to train folk who work in city government on these new approaches, new behaviours and skills to reimagine government programmes and practices. And then they try to promote that across the city's government. Here's Eliza Erickson, their former director, who we heard from earlier. If we really want to change the culture of innovative, the culture of government, and we really want to build, you know, an ecosystem that's conducive to innovation, we need to have people who know how to think innovatively, places that facilitate and support innovative ideas and innovative thinking and processes that allow us to solicit and evaluate and pilot and fund innovative ideas across a really big enterprise like the city of Philadelphia. Um, We focus much more on kind of building and changing the culture and the people and the processes support innovation as opposed to saying, the streets department is really struggling with trash pickup. How can we help them innovate around trash pickup? So, for instance, this unit runs an innovation academy. It's only open to city government employees and it's about training them on how to develop new approaches to designing urban programs and policies. And that's all about skills on how to think differently about defining a problem engaging stakeholders, getting buy-in and developing solutions that are inclusive and effective. Okay, so that's an example that focuses on changing the culture in city government, unleashing creativity. But are there others that are more about using innovative methods? Yeah, definitely. So other examples are much more focused on using innovative mechanisms to generate and then enact these ideas to address these specific challenges a city might be facing, say around housing or mobility or police recruitment. Or it could be more routine issues like improving the quality and inclusivity of public space or how to share data across city departments. And then they use these mechanisms to work on specific projects. And that often involves drawing in new kinds of partners to do that. OK, flesh that out for me. Do you have an example? Sure. In California, there's an organisation called the Sacramento Area Council of Governments or SACOG. And it runs this thing called the Sacramento Civic Lab. And it's essentially an iLab process that happens over a few months. And they did one recently where they started with a theme, sustainable mobility. 
And then they brought a set of people from across these diverse government agencies, across the usual silos of government departments, and they brought in some not-for-profits as well. So all of these participants were formed into these mixed teams, and their job was to come up with a problem statement for a specific issue they'd identified. In this case, it was about getting a fixed bus route to work in a given neighbourhood. So over a few sessions, they refined their problem statements and they presented pitches to set out, you know, here's the problem we're trying to solve. How would we traditionally solve it? Here's why that mightn't work in this instance. And then they brought in these other government transport agencies and a set of private sector firms, mainly mobility startups, to try to get everyone to focus on how to innovate electric mobility as a possible solution. They workshopped the problem statements together until they could be released as a set of requests for quotations. Now, after these RQFs were put out, they got bids in from mobility providers. SACOG put up a million dollars. Another million came in from other public agencies and they leveraged another million in private sector funds. And then they were able to match bids with vendors and they got to launch seven pilot projects. Since then, they've applied for a federal government grant to fund the development of a carbon-free mobility ecosystem for the region using that same Civic Lab process. Here's how James Corliss, the Executive Director of the Sacramento Area Council of Governments, reflects on the process. So I think this, this idea of expressing problem statements that we're trying to solve and then being humble enough to know that we don't necessarily have the answers, right? Um, that we can't solve some of these bigger problems anymore, even if they're just transportation, point A to point B, with a sort of a single perspective, that we need we need partners. Right, so they're bringing in a range of different types of partners through this iLab process, and that makes me think about the politics and the priorities that come to the surface when you do a process like this that widens the range of who's involved in governing a particular problem. And you did mention that before, that some of these innovation units have a particular politics to what they prioritise. That's right. Some innovation units do focus on particular political aspirations. And a really good example here comes from Bologna. In Bologna, the city set up the Office of Civic Imagination, it's called. And that's all about new ways to bring citizens into the process of governing Bologna's common urban resources. And it's about delivering city services through a participatory approach. So they have teams that are posted in six neighbourhoods across the city as these permanent citizen engagement policy labs. Every year, they get these new projects, they develop them between the city council and the people in the neighbourhoods, and together they've set up community-managed public parks, neighbourhood centres and community hubs. They've regenerated public buildings as public cultural institutions. They've even set up a cooperative ethical delivery service that's meant to rival the likes of Deliveroo. So all these projects are funded by the city. The money is formally committed through a pact between the city and the neighbourhood community. So it's really about innovating, in this instance, to democratise decision-making in local neighbourhoods by creating new kinds of institutions that are about collaboration and co-production. As they do this, they're aiming to build more common urban resources across Bologna. It's pretty neat.
Okay, so there's lots of different styles of working and different kinds of targets. You've picked out a few examples here, and there are lots more of these kinds of examples that are emerging in cities all over the world, from North America to Europe to Latin America, and even a few examples here in the Australian context where we are. And I guess broadly, at their most broadest, they aspire to be making cities better, right? Yeah, that's right. But we know there's not a lot out there yet that systematically evaluates what these innovation units can actually deliver. So can we talk about what's important to making them work, to making them effective at what they're trying to do? Sure. Look, there's a bunch of things that are important to making these innovations work. And there's a bunch of challenges they bring to the surface that we need to be reflecting on, really. Okay, so let's start by talking about what helps them to work. Okay, look, five things kept coming to the surface in our research that we think are really critical to making these innovation units effective. First, and this is really commonly talked about, it's about creating a context where interventions or programs are allowed to fail. So in one of the iLabs we looked at in Toronto, the program manager put it really nicely when she said, and I'm quoting her here, our return on investment here is going to be so much greater if we fail and then change fail to learn. Switch those two words. So that's quite a shift in a bureaucratic setting where failure is normally seen as political risk. Here, failure is an opportunity to learn. The second thing that came up a lot is the idea of building trust and developing relationships. Actually, one of our interviews from Vancouver said to us, in his words, trust and social networks turn out to be the greatest lubricant for innovation. So like we said before, the kinds of innovation that these units are working with, they often involve creating new partnerships and doing city governance. You know, whether that's working with government agencies that aren't usually worked with, or a philanthropic funder of a project, or a university, or a private provider of, say, housing or a new technology. James Corliss describes this idea when he talks about trust and relationship in the Sacramento Civic Lab experience. We know, we know a lot of them, right? Yeah. Because we have this experience going through a Civic Lab. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in so much of this stuff at the end of the day is about relationships and yeah. getting outside your routine working relationship to begin to sort of like actually experience challenge and problem solving and tension and all the rest of it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's pulled, pulled us closer together with our partners and we've, we've developed relationships. I don't think, again, I, I want to be sort of humble about it. I think we are, we're, I wouldn't use the word transform yet. Okay, so embracing and learning from failure and building trust as a foundation for new working relationships. What else is important here? Actually, the third key thing is storytelling. Now, not making up stories, but communicating narratives about what's being done and what sorts of changes that's resulting in. So in some senses, it's like PR, but hopefully with a bit less spin and more realism. It's about showcasing and demonstrating what changes these units are able to leverage, whether that's about using a different approach to policymaking or service design or a new approach to addressing a specific urban issue. And these can be anything from the minor scale, like you know, removing dog poo in public spaces, to major problems like providing affordable housing. The people we spoke to were really clear that showcasing inside of city government is just as important as with the wider public. 
the way someone we talked to from Detroit put it was, he said, the best way for us to have the internal buy-in has been to really showcase the wins and the capabilities that we're able to provide by doing. And how do they go about showcasing? Look, lots of ways, lots of reports, video clips, sometimes actual um, annual exhibits. The Innovation Unit in Reykjavik actually deploys an animator to communicate changes and visualise what they're doing to tell their story and, as they put it, to bring transformation processes alive. Nico Diaz-Amigo from the Innovation Unit in the city of Syracuse in the US, he told us about how they use social media for this purpose. I also go through a lot of pain, not pain, but uh, a lot of effort in how we communicate outwards, not only internally, uh, and make sure that we are telling a compelling narrative of how we're advancing innovation in, in the city of Syracuse. So, like, we have our, our own website where we have our own blog where we, where we, you know, show our work and show the cool things that we do. I have a big presence on uh, LinkedIn where I'm constantly referring to some of the things that the team is doing so that when someone starts doing some research into what's going on in Syracuse and in, in, in the steam, they have like all that evidence. So it sounds like narrating and showcasing the wins. That's really about demonstrating what some of the innovations can deliver. So, so far, so straightforward, we might say. But surely things get complicated, don't they? This is city government, after all. There must be dimensions that are really embedded in place in the knotty kinds of histories and contexts of the particular cities that are in question here. And that must mean that things don't just transform smoothly, right? Oh, definitely, yes. Look, I'm a geographer. You're never going to have to convince me that place matters. Well, go on. Then you said five things were important. So let's get into the knottier ones. Okay. Look, things do get complex and knotty, believe it or not. The people we interviewed talked a lot about how innovation units being effective relies on their being able to deal with the complications and the local situations. They have to be able to navigate and negotiate through these inevitable complexities and obstacles that crop up as the unit's trying to do its work. Now, there's no textbook. There's no predefined pathway that makes it all work. These units have to be able to find their way through problems, conflicting interests, political contingencies, institutional complexities. And these all crop up in kind of unique ways in different places. All right, break that down a bit for me. What do you mean there? Yeah, look, it's naughty for sure. Let me use a few examples to explain it a bit. So the innovation units from the US that we talked to really emphasise having to navigate the politics of city government. They were often seen to be associated with a particular mayor, and that could limit the buy-in that they were able to get from the city government more widely. One of the people we talked to talked about how their innovation unit kept getting their budget cut because they were seen to be so closely associated with the mayor and that mayor's particular political priorities. So they just changed the name of their unit to break that perception. And that cleared the way for them to gain credibility. And hey, presto, no more budget cuts. The guy we spoke to in the Dublin unit gave us a really great example of how they had to try and negotiate across multiple levels to get projects off the ground and how complex that all was to juggle. Shane Waring is the lead of the Dublin Beta Lab. And here he describes a meeting on one of their initiatives that involved installing these covered, secure bike bunkers in neighbourhoods across the city. In the meeting, the discussion got really complex. When I kind of 
analysed the meeting afterwards in my head. What I realised was what was so frustrating was that we were discussing things at three different levels. We were discussing national legislation, legally whether you can do something or not. We were discussing, well, he was saying things like, well, what if everyone wants this? Who's going to run it? And we don't have the resources. And where's the budget from? Mm. And then he was also saying things like, well, we wouldn't put it there because that fella in that shop, um, we always have problems with him and this and that. So he was talking about really hyper-local stuff. Mm. So, if you're trying to have a conversation, uh, one minute you're, just, you're discussing national legislation, and the next minute you're saying, "Don't put it outside," you know, Mr. Murphy's shop. Like, it's 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 it's, it's impossible to have kind of a coherent kind of conversation with. Put on Mr. Murphy. So, look to deal with all that. The Dublin unit developed this three-stage approach to the projects that they wanted to do, so they didn't end up getting strangled by that complexity before they started. So those examples are about how these units have to manage internal politics and complexity. But then there's also resourcing and budget. Lots of the people we spoke to uh, talked about having to navigate yearly budget cycles, trying to secure funding and staffing for initiatives in a situation where money is always tight. And where one of the people we talked to in Tulsa said, in city government, there's certain things that you just kind of have to, you can't not do those things, you know, like collect the garbage, fixing potholes and so on. I really like the way one of the people we spoke to in Melbourne described the whole process in terms of navigating. She talked about navigating sticking points, constantly shifting a little bit this way and a little bit that way to improve the process. So for her, it was all about navigating their way through the context, the challenges, the stuff that didn't work, the stuff that needed to be rethought. So what I'm hearing is that there's not a predictable pathway to these units being able to effectively introduce these new ways of working new ways of governing the city. There's a lot of quite particular ongoing circumstances. They have to navigate. They're reacting to local situations. They're finding fixes to problems. They're hustling for resources. Presumably the wheels can fall off and the whole thing can go off course quite a bit. It's a lot about muddling through, not some clear, plottable pathway toward innovating. Look, I think that's right. And actually, that also brings me to my last point, the fifth thing. And that's the way that making the work of these units effective in what they're trying to do demands this kind of different set of skills and dispositions from people working in governments. And lots of these are soft skills. So let's go back here to Eliza Erickson in Philadelphia. You know, I think at its core, this work is really just about, like, are you a good communicator? Are you a good, um, you know, to some extent, like, are you a good public speaker? But like, you know, do you know, are you comfortable in tricky situations? Are you, do you know how to navigate? Do you know how to sit in a room with someone who's really resistant to your idea and, you know, try to convince them that you know what you're talking about. So the people we talked to talked a lot about things we don't normally associate with city government, like passion, creativity, emotion, and like just being cool and doing cool things. And I've been looking into the annual creative bureaucracy festival that happens in Europe that points to something similar. That sounds like a bigger issue that's worthy of its own episode. Yeah, let's do that.
Today we've focused on unpacking what innovation units in city government are, what they aim for, how they work and what's important to making them effective. We've said less though about what this all means for governments, for cities and for city residents. Why don't we end with a couple of thoughts about that? Certainly there's lots of talk about innovating city government and lots of speculative claims, but how big is the gap between the ideal of what they hope to achieve and the realities of putting that into practice in real-world urban contexts? What do they actually deliver? Yeah, wow. That, there's a lot of great questions in there, actually. Um, it's certainly easy to get swept up in the hype and assume that city government innovation is always a good thing and that it always delivers improvement. I mean, there is a degree of what we might call innovation watching, where the hype exceeds the reality and the rhetoric about what's changing gets you know, overblown. In lots of what we've seen, the actual achievements are around fairly routine changes to the everyday business of running the city. You know, like new processes that make applying for permits easier or quicker, you know, new ways to gather ideas from the community about needs in public space, new processes for sharing data across departments in the city. So they might be quite routine rather than radically transformative, but they're still really important to everyday life in the city. And I think that points to the fact that changes to city government that happen through innovation are incremental, you know, rather than there being some big moment of radical disruption where innovating unleashes some kind of silver bullet. And, you know, what that incremental change looks like is going to be very different in different places, depending on what the innovation team is working on, you know, what problems, what sticking points they're trying to shift. And am I right that there's lots of really varying stuff that routinely goes on in city government that might get rebranded as innovation um, because it's got such a cachet at the moment? Look, I think that's true. And, and I think that can actually be positive because the term innovative can really provide this sort of license to get things done. So city governments can be opportunistic. They can use, you know, let's call it the aura of innovation to, to help them pursue local agendas, you know, things they might have been trying to get done for a while. And then by leveraging this term, they get the political license and they get the money that sometimes comes with various grant schemes or from philanthropies to support government innovation. And they get stuff done. And what about the politics of all this? I guess that's a big question underlying a lot of this activity. <laughs> the biggest question maybe. Look, there's multiple aspects to that. There's the internal politics of how does an innovation unit sit within the bigger structures of city government and how does that affect its influence? There's the question of securing sustainable funding and resources to keep their work and their projects going. We know city governments don't often have lots of cash or, you know, human resources sitting around going begging. And that can really compromise these units' ability to follow through on promises to deliver change. And to be perhaps a broken record here, the broader question of the politics of urban governance innovation, right? Yeah, precisely. A really big question for me is what effect does working in innovation mode have on what urban governance problems get addressed? You know, what kinds of problems are seen as solvable through innovation? These units often need to demonstrate quick wins. We saw that. And that can shape what their targets are and what solutions are seen to be feasible. 
Another question would be, you know, what does involving private sector or philanthropic partners do to the types of problems that get focused on? Or what does it do to who has authority in decision making in the city? These are capital B, capital Q, big questions that I think practitioners and urban scholars like us really do need to step back and be thinking about. So there's lots of things to get our teeth into here, right? Just as well, we have a series of episodes ahead then. (laughs) That's right. Join us over the next few episodes where we unpack urban governance innovation, we talk about methods, skills and the implications for city government and cities themselves. I'm Pauline McGurk from the University of Wollongong. And I'm Tom Baker from the University of Auckland. Thanks for joining us on this first episode in a special podcast series on urban governance innovation, Innovating Cities, a joint project funded by the Australian Research Council and conducted by the University of Wollongong, the University of Sydney and the University of Auckland. We've put links to our research project in the show notes and you'll find these in your podcasting app. Thanks to City Road Podcast for hosting us and to our research participants for sharing their insights and knowledge. And thanks to our producer Jennifer Macy and to Neil Davey at the University of Newcastle for tech support.